Today's broadcast was originally recorded on July 10th, 2023. The situation we are witnessing now is the demonstration that climate change is out of control. If we persist in delaying key measures that are needed, I think we are moving into a catastrophic situation. Moving. Moving to. I think we may be there. Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Out in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Internet. It's on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, not to mention most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, <clears throat> An all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. We are back after a week off over the uh, July 4 holiday. Uh, and and my attempt, not always a successful one, to try and look away from the news for a few minutes, from the daily crush of news. As noted, not always successful. I don't know. How'd you do, Desi Doyen? I did not you... do a good job of avoiding the news. It was kind of unavoidable. <laughs> well, there is a lot going on, uh, including uh, what we will be joined by our smartly named guest to discuss momentarily. But as uh, as we haven't opened up the phones in a while on the show, because we've been off and I was, uh, I was looking the other way or trying to, I thought that perhaps we would open the phones in the second half of this hour to you and what I'm going to call a reverse broadcast. Now, what is a reverse broadcast? Do you know what one is, Desi Doy? No, what is a reverse broadcast? Well, thank you for asking. <laughs> that is that is where uh, the callers would call in, where you call in, and you tell me and everyone else what's going on, what you think is important uh, that we need to know about today. And, of course, since it's a reverse broadcast, I will then tell you... While you are, why you are wrong about that? 
<laughs> which I'm most only mostly kidding about, but we'll see how you do. My number will be 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. If you are live in our uh, Southern California listening area, or if you're listening anywhere around the world via the live stream at kpfk.org. Uh, in truth, of course, there has been a lot going on over the past week while we were uh, not here to cover it, so we will have a lot of catching up to do over the next few days. Uh, news, of course, out of our corrupted, packed, and stolen U.S. Supreme Court. Accountability news for our former president and his band of henchmen and corrupt attorneys. A massive number of mass shootings on or around the July 4 holiday, 2024 election news, some exclusive news from Douglas Lucas that we broke at bradblog.com last week. Yes, even while I was supposed to be on vacay. Regarding Georgia's Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and his failure to even begin the state process for certifying critical security updates for Georgia's new $150 million highly vulnerable touchscreen voting system. That, despite urgent recommendations from the nation's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency to, yes, upgrade those systems before the 2024 presidential election in the critical battleground state. Hopefully we'll talk a little bit about that later in the week, but you can read it right now at bradblog.com and uh, much more that we will, uh, you know, try to begin catching up on over the next several days. If you have any thoughts on any of that or anything else today, 818-985-KPFK to line up now for our reverse broadcast uh, before we open up the phone shortly. But first, among the most critical stories that were very hard, if not impossible, to ignore over the past week, well, before we left, we had reported that heading into the holiday uh, weekend, some 111 million Americans were under air quality watches and warnings across the U.S. as smoke from Canadian wildfires had continued to inundate dozens of states. That after a weeks-long heat wave down in Texas, record heat wave. Well, just days later, right on schedule, uh, as, as we have been uh, after we left, as we have been warning about for only, I don't know, 15 years now in our twice weekly Green News Report segments, AP's Seth Borenstein and Isabella O'Malley reported, actually, as they reported four days in a row, beginning on the day after July 4th, quote, uh, sweltering heat blanketed much of the planet with an analysis at the time, finding that the past seven days leading up to the national holiday had been the hottest week on record across the globe. That, the day after the uh, 4th, had been recorded by the same new analysis as the hottest day for planet Earth in modern recorded history. They uh, described the news at the time as the latest grim milestone in a series of climate change-driven extremes. But that record was soon eclipsed as the July 4th record on Tuesday was eclipsed on Wednesday. And then again on Thursday and again, I believe, on Friday, with each day being the hottest ever recorded by this particular analysis. Though the figures are unofficial, many scientists agree that they indicate climate change is reaching uncharted territory, says AP. And the White House, in response, noted that the data show the need for legislative action. White House spokesman Abdullah Hassan said, quote, the alarming extreme weather events impacting millions of Americans underscore the urgency 
of President Biden's climate agenda and the absurdity of continued efforts by Republican lawmakers to block and repeal it. Yes, as Democrats without a a single Republican vote adopted the world's largest single investment in attempting to mitigate the worst effects of our climate crisis with a $400 billion investment, Republicans have actually been trying ever since to repeal every dollar of it. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres cited uh, the records last week to yet again call for faster action from both rich and poor countries alike to reach net zero, net zero fossil fuel emissions as soon as possible. As he said, evidence shows that we are now, quote, moving into a catastrophic situation. The situation we are witnessing now is the demonstration that climate change is out of control. Uh, What we are witnessing now is emissions still growing. This is the moment in which uh, we all need to assume our responsibilities. And I recall that I made an appeal for an increased ambition that we start by now reducing the emissions in order to get a meaningful decrease of about 45% at the end of the decade. If we do not go this way, if we persist in delaying key measures that are needed, I think we are moving into a catastrophic situation. Yeah. And that's the situation we are now at least moving into. Catherine Hayhoe, the uh, Nature Conservancy's chief scientist and a uh, climate scientist at Texas Tech, echoed the U.N. Secretary General, noting, quote, this is one more reminder of the inexorable upward trend that will only be halted by decisive actions to wean ourselves off fossil fuels, invest in nature, and achieve net zero emissions. But the signs were difficult to miss, even if some have been working very hard to hope that you don't notice those signs, because even as some parts of the U.S. have been quite comfortable temperature-wise of late, including out here in Southern California, where we're supposed to be running into a heat wave in a few days, uh, but up, up until then, it has been nice. Even as the world smashes global heat records, there are other signs that are difficult to ignore, even if you live somewhere that's very nice. Just from a uh, brief review of headlines and tweets over the past 24 hours or so as I was catching up. Flash flooding in New York triggers water rescues as storms slam the Northeast. Uh, According to Axios, as the National Weather Service warned on Sunday that New York and Vermont could see catastrophic flooding on Monday, akin to the remnants of the deadly Hurricane Irene in 2011. Well, sure enough, as CNN reported early Monday morning, severe storms that left at least one dead in southeastern New York are dumping heavy rainfall at intense rates over parts of the Northeast, prompting road closures, water rescues, urgent warnings about life-threatening flash floods. Over 9 million people were under flood alerts across the Northeast on Monday, including parts of New York, Vermont, Massachusetts, and Maine, as well as across the country in Washington and Alaska. Flash flood emergencies and landslides were expected with heavy rainfall throughout the day. The National Weather Service issued a uh, a flash flood emergency warning for central Vermont on Monday, where flooding was already underway with up to six inches having fallen by early this morning. And to underscore just how 
how insane these and these torrential rainfall records are. Uh, New York, the Hudson Valley, yep. got something on the upwards <clears throat> of nine inches of rain in 24 hours. It's it's not gotten that kind of rain before in that short period of time. There's no place for the water to go. That's why it causes flash flooding. Flash flood warnings were in effect from the Massachusetts line to the Canadian border. That, by the way, on the heels of similar headlines around the world from just the last couple of days. Video uh, on Twitter, I retweeted some of this uh, from Press Trust of India, showed massive flooding. Uh, in uh, northern uh, a northern Indian district as the water level on the Niru River rose to a torrential monsoon rain. In Spain, there was video of people floating away on the top of their cars on a sunny day over the weekend after flash flooding had slammed uh, Spain's Zarazoa uh, pro- province following heavy rainfall. Video from the BBC included the headline, Hail and flash floods hit northern Spain, creating an ice flow, yes, an ice flow, of hail just days after a heat wave. WGN Radio in Chicago reports today employers across Much of China were ordered on Monday to limit outdoor work due to scorching temperatures, while the east and southwest were warned to prepare for torrential rain as the country struggled with heat and flooding and drought. Heavy rain triggered a landslide Saturday in the Hubei province that buried a highway construction site, killed one person. Authorities were now searching on Monday for seven missing construction workers. Tens of thousands of people in China were driven out of their homes by earlier flooding. Residents of some cities have moved into underground air raid shelters in order to try and escape the heat. Meanwhile, back closer to home, those fires burning out of control before the holiday, well, they are still doing so. And they are getting worse. Headline, uh, Canada climate wildfire crisis surges. Over 800 active fires now, 60% of them out of control. And video out of Colorado showed decimated corn crops by hail as far as the eye could see north of Denver International Airport from round after round of severe storms in Colorado. Just some of climate reporter Andrew Friedman's headlines at Axios over the past week. Globe has warmest June on record by far, early data shows. The next day, Earth sees three hottest days on record. The next day, Earth saw hottest day yet on Thursday, the fourth straight global record. And on Monday, extreme heat envelops Phoenix, 42 million people under warnings. Friedman no relation, if only because he spells his name differently than me, quoted Kate Marvel, a senior climate scientist at Project Drawdown, a nonprofit focused on climate solutions, saying that the record temperatures are not surprising at this point. Atmospheric CO2 levels have increased nearly 50 percent, she said. Methane levels have increased by more than 150 percent. She noted, if an athlete was using banned substances to this extent, no one would be surprised if he started to break records. She said, we would also probably be worried about his health and would strongly urge him to stop doing that before it's too late. Is anybody able at this point to stop the fossil fuel industry and the politicians funded by them to to stop this madness before it's too late, or is it already too late? 
Joining us now is Andrew Friedman, who holds a master's degree in climate and society uh, and, and society from Columbia University. He also serves as uh, a climate and an energy reporter for Axios after previously writing for Mashable, Climate Central and The Washington Post. It has been too many years uh, since you last joined us, Andrew, but welcome back to the broadcast, Mr. Friedman. Thanks for having me. Good to have you here, sir. Uh, boy, uh, a lot to cover. Uh, you know, when we, you know, shouted out to see if you'd be able to join us on the show today, Andrew, you noted that you were, uh, quote, still trying to wrap your head around some of these records. Uh, you, like us, have been at this now for a couple of decades at least. So in one sense, I know that you, like us, have been warning about exactly this for a long time. Is it still difficult to wrap your head around today nonetheless? It is. I think that, you know, while my expectations might have been for some of these records, um, everything, everywhere, all at once is kind of how it feels mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. Um, it, it, it feels that way as a reporter. It feels that way as just a person on Earth. <laughs> um, you know, the global records were not something that I had expected to jump out this early in July. Mm -hmm. um, the peak is usually later in July towards early August. It's pretty much a done deal uh, that July will be the hottest July on record and most likely the hottest month uh, that we've seen since records began. Mm -hmm. um, but the extremes aren't in themselves surprising. What is becoming very clear, though, is the shortened window between them. So, you know, Vermont, New Hampshire, uh, New York State got hit really hard with flooding from uh, the left, from the remains of Hurricane Irene in 2011. Mm -hmm. Th these are the areas that just got hit and are still getting hit right now at, at this hour. Um, the uh, heat waves that we're seeing in the southwest we know already were made at least five times more likely and more severe uh, due to climate change. Mm. Um, and, and that's just as they're ramping up. And yeah. you might say, well, Arizona is a pretty hot place. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but it, it's not typical for Phoenix to make a run at 120 degrees during the day mm -hmm. and stay in the low to mid 90s at night. Like, that is a public health threat for them. It is a public health threat uh, in terms of the temperatures they're expecting in Las Vegas um, and in Mexico, which which we might be not, not be thinking about, but mm -hmm. the heat dome is, is really cresting over Mexico once again, um, likely posing a severe danger to people trying to illegally cross the border. Mm. Um, you know, Florida, looking at, at some of these observations, the, the ocean temperatures around Miami, around the Florida Keys are in the 90s yeah. right now. Yeah. That's just bizarre. And and somebody had, uh, a meteorologist who I follow posted a map, just looked at ocean temperatures around the United States right now compared to where they normally are in September. Mm -hmm. So in September is when you get you know, when, when the concerns about hurricanes really start peaking, uh, ocean temperatures, because they have a bit of a lag time, taking in heat over a longer period during the, the summertime, mm -hmm. that's when they usually peak. Mm -hmm. um, but right now, they're hotter than they normally would be in September. So everybody's just kind of thanking the fact that 
we don't have a tropical storm or hurricane coming into this area right now mm. because if we did one of those factors would heavily favor rapid intensification mm-hmm. and um a, a serious problem now it doesn't guarantee one in a month or two mm-hmm. it just means one ingredient is there in spades well the the ingredient uh, of the the warmer water a storm comes over with that kind of warmer water that means we're going to essentially uh, we are very, we're much more likely to have a huger, wetter storm. Is that the uh, proper way to describe it? Yeah, I mean, we've noticed this. The peer-reviewed literature shows that that hurricanes are becoming. There are more frequent high-end storms than there used to be. The, there's more frequent instances and bigger jumps in rapid intensity mm-hmm. uh, increases over a short period of time. We've seen that with a number of storms uh, in the past couple of years, uh, and not just storms that have affected the U.S., but in other ocean basins as well. Um, and we've seen storms becoming wetter. We, you know, the the poster child for that is is Hurricane Harvey in mm-hmm. in Houston, um, which dumped around six sixty inches of rain on that city. Um, but but many storms are leading to inland flooding disasters now that are worse than they were before. The rainfall in, in the past two days over New York State and Vermont, What one way to think about it is this particular storm, which is like this mix between something you might see in the wintertime mm-hmm. and a feed of tropical moisture coming off of this mm-hmm. warmer-than-average Atlantic, mm-hmm. it's del- delivering about a, a season's worth of rain in the course of two days. I which I know is just mind boggling. And I, you know, I was gonna ask you, well, how unusual are these records? I, I that were breaking all over the place. I think you've already answered. They're quite unusual, but but why? Has something changed here, uh, Andrew Friedman, or, or are we just at a particularly bad moment with summer heat and a new El Nino, uh, you know, now uh, difficult to not notice? Or, in fact, have we reached, as many scientists seem to be suggesting, some sort of a tipping point uh, as far as you can tell? Uh, what do we make out of what seems to be a pretty radical uh, change, even from last summer, which was also terrible, by the way? Yeah, I mean, it, last summer, um, I think it was the Union of Concerned Scientists, which is a advocacy group and mm-hmm. scientific research group, um, labeled it the danger season. Um, and, and that kind of got, got taken up by some mm-hmm. in the press uh, and by some on Capitol Hill, just noticing like all these trends seem to come together during the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, to some extent, that's what's happening. We're seeing these extreme heat events. We're seeing uh, more extreme precipitation events. We're seeing all these things that we've loaded the dice for that we would expect. However, the Pacific Ocean is so warm to begin with Mm. for this El Nino that Mm. the El Nino is actually having a little bit of trouble fully getting started because the atmosphere is not quite responding in the way that it usually does. Normally, you would have cooler water in the Western Pacific and the heating in the Eastern and Central Pacific, and the winds respond uh, accordingly. However, right now, pretty much the entire Pacific is incredibly warm. So scientists are kind of looking at this and saying, oh, do we need a better index to to capture 
the new reality of El Nino, which is the El Nino in a changing climate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may be the case. I think that scientists that I've talked to asking that precise question of, is something new, like, did we break something fundamental here? Mm. Um, most of them are, are saying no, uh, some more emphatically than others. Um, but every one of them, you know, it's a little bit more hesitant of mm. a no. Okay. Um, and I, I think that there really is a perception among people that that the climate has to some degree gone off the rails. But if you look at the global trends yeah. since we've been, you know, since we've been tracking it, yep. going back hundreds of thousands of years, you know, with tree ring data and other types of data, mm-hmm. we're pretty much on the course that we thought we would be. Right. It's not as if there's been some giant spike. We, mm-hmm. you know, one scientist that I talked to, Deke Arndt, who's at the National Centers for Environmental Information and at NOAA in Asheville, he likens climate change to this uh, to this escalator that basically El Nino years, you, you step up and La Nino years, you kind of stay put or step down. Um, in terms of the rate of warming. And what we're seeing right now is a faster rate of warming, but an even faster rate of warming than you'd expect so quickly from El Nino. And and El Nino, yeah, it usually has a a delay of a couple of months from when it's declared. Right. And and the climate system seems to be on a fast-forward mode. It it does, and it's you know, something that we've been uh, trying to point out that uh, Desi Doyen on our Green News Report has been trying to point out that even with, you know, last year we had one of the hottest years on records. I think it was among the top five, if I recall, but it was during a La Nina pattern, which is supposed to, you know, generally cool the planet. Now, with what is going on, we have an El Nino weather pattern, which tends to heat the globe. Uh, you know, how should we expect that that will influence global temperatures looking ahead? Can, you know, what can we expect in the U.S. and elsewhere? Or is it too early to know as we're watching this El Nino begin to form? You know, the, there's no no El Nino and no La Nina is identical to one that came before it. Mm-hmm. But we know in general what it tends to do mm-hmm. so we know that california has greater odds of a wet winter especially in central and southern california during an el nino we know that parts of east africa fortunately parts of africa that have suffered from uh, a terrible drought and famine situation tend to be wetter than average mm-hmm. um, we know that indonesia and australia tend to be drier than average we tend to get worse fire years in in those places but it doesn't guarantee you an outcome. And really what what I think is most significant is the influence on global average temperatures. And what we've been seeing is each La Nina year is warmer than the one that came before it. Mm-hmm. And each El Nino seems to be warmer than the one that came before it. Because, mm. you know, these events happen every two to seven years. Yeah. And in between, we've just been steadily adding more greenhouse gases. So... What does it mean for global temperatures that we have an El Nino right now um, and that it looks at least to be moderate to strong based on most of the computer modeling, um, you know, once it really gets going towards the fall and winter? Uh, It means that 2023 has a much higher likelihood of 
being at very least in the top three warmest yeah. years and most likely the warmest year and then 2024 would probably beat it mm. so yeah. we're looking at two of these years and, and one thing that i have been talking about with colleagues who report on congress and colleagues who you know really focus on policy mm -hmm. is well how is this going to affect the debate on capitol hill and right. the debate in 2024 mm -hmm. and i think that you know, senators and members of Congress that we've talked to really kind of say, well, it, it's not really something that I'm paying attention to, you know, <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis. But um, you are seeing wildfire resilience measures passing or getting added to bills because of Western lawmakers, uh, both Democrats and Republicans coming together. Well, you are seeing certain bipartisan solutions moving forward you're not seeing you do have this divide over the inflation reduction act obviously as as you pointed out mm -hmm. but i think that politically it's going to be a bigger campaign issue in 2024 than perhaps it would have been otherwise um if we have such a warm year with a a more rapid pace of disaster you know, type news. We will see if that's the case, Andrew Friedman. And the reason I say that is because, you know, every four years we sort of get into this mode of, oh, are they actually going to ask the candidates about these issues? And, a single question at a debate. Exactly. Yep. Uh, and, and then they don't, ultimately. I think we had a few questions, uh, but, you know, they tend to be in the Democratic primary. Once they've, uh, you know, once we're in the general election, they stop with those questions questions entirely. You know, we, we see a lot of uh, reporting on weather, not climate, but weather by mainstream corporate outlets, uh, particularly when it's uh, particularly terrible weather or breaking records or something. But in my opinion, we still do not see nearly enough uh, reporting on climate, especially when we have these sorts of, uh, you know, heat waves, storms, whatever. That seems to be the time that we that the, the media should be tying those two things together, that this is not just bad weather. There is a reason for this bad weather, and it is because of a climate that we have polluted and we have made, uh, you know, immeasurably worse year after year. Uh, can you speak quickly uh, to the differences uh, and the ties between weather and climate and about when we might start reporting on all of this more as a crime story? than a weather or a climate story, to be frank. You know, I, I've reported on these events in the context of climate change for many years. Mm -hmm. I think there are other outlets that that do a really good job of it right mm -hmm. now. Um, I think, you know, you can one area that is really still problematic, though, are actually the, the national broadcast networks, mm -hmm. um, you know, including like ABC, NBC, CBS, uh, routinely still airing um, airing wildfire stories, airing flooding stories mm -hmm. without much of a mention of the climate tie. Right. You're seeing local TV meteorologists uh, making that tie and doing so mm. frequently mm. and doing so on social media as well. And you're seeing a lot of progress uh, in national media, but... I think, for example, like you're not going to see the Times, the Post, Axios, or others write a story, at least hopefully 
Axios not not too often, you know, write a story on this unprecedented heat wave or a, you know, massive flood event Mm -hmm. without a couple of sentences on how climate change is making this worse or Mm -hmm. how climate change is driving this, Mm -hmm. because this is all part of the context. Um, But yeah, I mean, in terms of changing the story, personally, I think every year it becomes more and more of a business story Mm -hmm. of how much money is being, how the economy is shifting towards a low carbon economy, who's to gain, who's to lose, what, you know, the fossil fuel industry is doing, what, you know, the clean energy economy looks like. I, I think when you think about it as a crime story, it's, it's innovative. And some are doing that at this point, I think. And some are doing that at this point. But um, I think, I think, I think not many. Yeah, you know, I think some yeah. are, but not many. Like I, it, it hasn't completely sold me uh, on moving to that. But right. I think you know the the outlet that's closest to that is probably the Guardian. Yes, um, which yes. is looking at it from that framework um, and, and doing so routinely. Yeah, uh, and it's interesting because it's a UK outlet, and if you look at if you look at the three countries in on the planet that have tended to have the most active um, pushback against, you know, climate science and mm-hmm. science denial movements, it's Australia, the United States, and the UK. Mm-hmm. So it's been interesting that it's it's a UK publication, but it's very out front on this. Yep. And in some ways, it's actually led the way. Um, it you has know, kind and, of and and I'm always frustrated by that because they've done a great job but I'm always frustrated and I think why is a UK paper you know reporting on or media outlet reporting on what's going on in the US with these US companies our politics behind our obscene politics frankly behind this um, you know, and I, I, I do, and I agree with you, by the way, Andrew, that a lot of the uh, mainstream outlets are far better than they were, but we'll still read a, a story in, you know, ABC News, and they'll talk about the flooding in the, in the Northeast or whatever the uh, weather crisis of the day is, and they won't even mention climate, which uh, just seems obscene to me, along with the obscene politics of it all. Uh, Andrew, I got to get out here shortly. But uh, at this point, given these obscene politics when it comes to lawmakers and the difficulty with the many, not everybody, but many in the corporate media, um, are we just screwed at this point? Or do you think that efforts by the U.N. and the uh, by the U.S., Joe Biden, the $400 billion investment in climate, that we can actually begin to bend the curve? You know, we have a friend of ours, uh, Dr. Michael Mann, who I, who I know you know of, University of Pennsylvania, one of the most optimistic uh, climate scientists you'll ever meet. He still argues that there is time to avoid the worst consequences of climate change. But we're going to have to act very quickly uh, to do it. Um, is is that even possible at this point, even if we set aside the obscene politics, if they said, yes, let's do something about this and we could all be in agreement, would we be in time to do so? Or are we just kind of hosed at, the, at this point? Well, you can look at certain goals. You can look at the 1.5 degree goal in the Paris Agreement. You can look at the 2C goal and have your arguments over whether we're 
or how, by how much we're going to exceed those targets and then come back down to them. Um, I, I, most climate scientists, most policy uh, people uh, would say like keeping it below 1.5 is a pretty tall order. Um, but is there a reason to be hopeful? Is there reason to think that you have some agency mm -hmm. over this that mm -hmm. you, that it's not just your vote but it's other activities that you can do in your life that can make a difference all of that is is a very uh declarative yes mm -hmm. um you know the science shows it um you know one of the uh, Catherine Hayo you mentioned mm -hmm. her appeal to people is to say the most powerful thing that you can do about climate change is to have a conversation with somebody about it. We we need to be talking about it more. We yep. need to be learning what your neighbor is doing, whether they're buying an EV or whether they just put up solar panels or whether they're eating less red meat. Mm. Like all these things actually have an impact. It's not just, oh, well, I guess we're screwed and I can't do anything about it. And, and then it's hard to not think that way. Yeah. And I'm a climate reporter right. and, you know, I did a story on, on climate anxiety being like a psychological phenomenon. And every psychologist that I went to interview first asked me how I was doing. And I was like, oh, I, I did not expect that question. I'm not doing well. Um, but, you know, it's hard for me. It's hard for other climate reporters who live this day in and day out. But uh, there are a ton of solutions. There are things that we're already doing. The The, the question really is, are we going fast enough? Are right. we implementing this uh, to the degree that it should be? Are there other steps we should be taking? And what happens if we do X, Y, Z? And what really runs a chill down my spine, frankly, is that, you know, even while we've, we've seen you know, Republicans in the fossil fuel industry for years talking about how, oh, these scientists, they're liberals and they're this and that. And the fact of the matter is uh, they are very conservative, conservative in their estimates, conservative in their modeling, I have found for the most part. Um, and so... You know, when they say, well, there's still a chance we can uh, survive the worst of this, we can mitigate the worst of it if we act quickly. Well, I certainly hope they're right. Um, but knowing how conservative they have been in so many of these uh, predictions, if you will, that's what scares me. How much worse this could be than we are even being told uh, by these, yes, conservative scientists. Andrew Friedman, uh, I got to get out here. I'm running late, as is. Always good to talk to you, though. Greatly appreciate your uh, joining us. Uh, Andrew Friedman is a climate and energy reporter for Axios. He covers climate change. He's also the co-author of Generate. That would be Axios's daily newsletter on energy and climate that you should sign up for. And you can find him and follow him on the Twitters at AFriedma. Don't ask me. That's what he's got. A freed <laughs> ma. Andrew, great speaking with you, my friend. Thank you, sir. We'll talk you to you too. soon, I hope. All right. Thanks. You bet. All right. Well, uh, let's get to a, uh, a quick break here. And uh, if you got any thoughts on 
uh, on that, uh, oh, uh, a listener called. Well, I, I'll tell you what. I'll take that after the the break. The uh, listener who called with a uh, question. Um, we'll take a quick break, and then it's your turn. If you want to talk about what we've just discussed, that's great. But otherwise, if you want to play along, we will have a reverse broadcast where you get to tell me what's going on, and I get to tell you why you're wrong about it. Uh, so, you know, what did I miss last week while we were on a break that you believe the world needs to know about over our public airwaves? Well, now's your chance. Don't wait until the end of the show and then get mad at me when we're out of time. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. If you're in our live listening area today or you're listening anywhere across the sweltering globe via kpfk.org uh, or i got a few things I can talk about, too, if you don't want to. 818-985-5735. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to The Bradcast. Five major corporations now own over 80% of all media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Your support helps us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations across the country. You can make a real difference by supporting independent media. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. Join us at Brad bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Hey, this is Brad, and you're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, inviting you in for a reverse broadcast where you get to tell me what's going on. I'd love to hear from you. 818-985-5735. Since I was gone uh, over the past week and uh, learned absolutely nothing at all for that entire week. I know nothing about anything that happened. Do you believe <laughs> okay. that? Uh, I don't, but, you know, it's eight, a, it was a bit of blissful, blissful not having to be neck deep in the news. Not having to make sense of it and talk about it and uh, report it. Well, we're back making sense of things. 818-985-5735, your chance to make sense of things. 818-985-KPFK. Uh, Desi, you, you know, a couple of folks called in while I was speaking with Andrew Friedman there. Yes. But didn't want to hang around to ask? Their right. They didn't wish to hang around to ask mm. the questions. One of them was a person who mm-hmm. uh, wanted, who was, who was, um, said that he was confused as yeah. to why scientists will say that, oh, you know, there's these droughts are really intense and these heat waves are really intense and then it'll rain a lot and they'll complain that it's raining too much. <laughs> and he didn't seem to understand or chose not to understand, I'm not really sure, about why climate change can make both rain really bad and floods really bad and droughts really bad and heat waves really bad. And it was a he? It was a he. he. He didn't want to hang around. He to did not ask want to hang question. around and ask that question. Do, would Maybe you he'll like call to call back in? Well, I, would you like to answer that? question? As I understand it, and yeah. obviously I'm not a climate scientist, but I have covered this for a long time. Yeah. But the idea is that uh, that global warming, literally trapping the heat within mm-hmm. the Earth's atmosphere that we are doing by burning fossil fuels. That's mm-hmm. what CO2 and greenhouse gases do. That's why they're called greenhouse gases. <laughs> and that raises the temperature of the planet. That la- raises the air temperature uh, and the ocean temperature as well. Those provide more heat energy 
for all weather events. So it can make, say, for example, heat waves more intense. Well, yeah, if you raise the temperature, the baseline temperature of the yeah. planet, yeah, your heat waves are going to kick up a notch or two or more, depending on how much that baseline temperature has raised. Also, warming a warmer atmosphere holds more moisture. So at the same time you can get a heat wave with high heat indexes over here, you can get uh, extreme rainfall because uh, the warming atmosphere holds more moisture. Therefore, it provides more rain to dump when it does rain. And yet this caller, who I'm going to take your word for it, was serious with this question, actually wondered why, uh, if droughts are bad, shouldn't intense flooding that kills people and wipes out towns, somehow that should be... We should be fine with that. Was this caller I'm serious not in that really question? Sure. I, I don't want to yeah. uh, assign any particular <clears throat> ideas to somebody I do. that I don't know. But I basically, do. you know, it's like, yes, you can have, just like we're seeing in Africa right now, you can have extreme drought that then goes to extreme rain and causes floods. Eight, yes, it can swing from extremes. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 818-985-KPFK. And you don't have to talk about this. You can talk about anything you want. And again, I know Everybody's going to wait till the last five minutes before they all call in at once and want to complain about something that I have no time to hear the complaint. If you want to complain, now's your time. 818-985-KPFK. Um, I know there was a different caller who also didn't want to hang on. We'll get to that in a minute. But maybe this will make the phones uh, ring a little bit. Uh, a story about Hunter Biden, the federal prosecutor overseeing the criminal case against U.S. President Joe Biden's son, Hunter, on Monday, said the Justice Department never impeded him from bringing charges, appearing to debunk claims made by an IRS whistleblower. This according to Reuters this afternoon. Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss, a Trump appointee in a letter to Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, denied allegations that he ever formally sought permission from Attorney General Merrick Garland to be designated as a special counsel, which is a status that would have allowed him to bring federal charges in any district across the nation against Hunter Biden. He said, I have not requested special counsel designation. This is Weiss wrote this. He was appointed as U.S. attorney by Republican former president Donald Trump and then allowed to stay in his post by Joe Biden. So he wouldn't uh, so Biden wouldn't appear to be interfering in the investigation of his own son. Rather, wrote Weiss, I had discussions with department officials regarding potential appointment, which would have allowed me to file charges in a district outside of my own. Without the partnership of the local U.S. attorney, I was assured that I would be granted that authority if it proved necessary. But apparently it didn't. Weiss's office last month revealed that it was uh, charging Hunter Biden with two misdemeanor tax charges to which the president's son is expected to plead guilty later this month. Hunter Biden also has agreed to enter into a pretrial diversion program to avoid facing a felony count related to lying about his use of illegal drugs on his background check form when he purchased a, a gun, which, by the way, he had for all of 11 days many years ago. Uh, and it's a good thing that almost nobody else ever is charged with that crime or there would be a lot of Republicans facing jail time right about now. Republicans have questioned why uh, U.S. Attorney Weiss, again, a Trump appointee, did not bring more aggressive felony charges against Hunter Biden, claiming he received preferential treatment or something 
from the Trump-appointed attorney. That criticism has been fueled in part by claims from a, uh, a supposed whistleblower, a guy named Gary Shapley, Shapley, an IRS criminal supervisory agent who worked on the Hunter Biden investigation. He claimed in an interview with lawmakers that the DOJ repeatedly stonewalled the probe starting during the Trump administration and continued through to the present day. Most notably, Shapley said investigators uncovered evidence of more serious tax crimes that could only be pursued in Washington, D.C. or California, but not in Delaware. Shapley said that when Weiss then sought permission from Attorney General Garland to be designated as a special counsel so he could bring charges from elsewhere in the country, that request was denied. Garland has denied that claim. Uh, and apparently Weiss has now uh, done so as well, saying that he was given, quote, complete authority. So uh, Weiss, in his letter on Monday, confirmed Garland's prior comments on the case, telling lawmakers he has, quote, never been denied the authority to bring charges in any jurisdiction. So stop. Just making stuff up again on the Republican side of the aisle because there's nothing else to do like save the planet from the worst uh, global warming uh, for what is it four of the hottest days ever measured on this planet. Let me go to uh, Paul in Chicago. Hey, Paul, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hi, Brad. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How's how's it? How you doing in Chicago right now? Hot. Oh. Uh, you're right. We're very lucky. All right. We're very lucky. Good. Sitting right the greatest. Okay. I having trouble hearing you, uh, Paul. Shoot. Uh, oh, sorry. I, I, I had my phone sitting in a resting place. Is this better? Okay. Actually, it is better. It is better. What, what What's on your mind, Paul? Here we go. Even better now. Okay. Yes. It is. Thank you. So sorry. So, uh, yeah, in Chicago, we're, we're pretty blessed, but I, I feel kind of responsible for everything that's happening because I was a. Even though I was born a Cardinals fan, I became a Cubs fan, and I really do believe that the 2016, Matthew 2016, end of the World Series brought on the apocalypse. I think you're right. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I, Sorry about that. Yeah, I think you are to blame for that, Paul. Uh, it, it, the Cub, Although it was predicted in Back to the Future, so we should have known it was coming. Uh, oh, did Paul drop? Oh, shoot. Okay. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for calling in. I do appreciate it. 818-985-KPFK. Always nice to blame the Cubbies for anything, whether they deserve it or not. Mike in L.A. Hey, Mike. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hello, Brad. Hope you enjoyed your week off. It was all um, right. Kind of hot. But, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, just as if we don't have enough to worry about, I just wanted to remind everybody that not only does global climate change increase CO2 and methane levels and all of that, uh, those horrible effects on the climate, mm -hmm. but we're also acidifying the oceans for on which we depend for a large percentage of the oxygen we breathe, mm -hmm. uh, not just by treating them as septic tanks and putting a bunch of industrial effluent in there, but by the direct uh, influence of the CO2. Mm -hmm. well and so uh, I wish we could... Uh, Feel a bit more urgency about that sort of thing and the way we're living. Yep. We should not be driving cars any great distance. Mm. We should have bicyclists able to go wherever they want to in the commuting uh, mode. 
and never have to share the street with automobiles. They should be protected by more than just a white line on the asphalt. Yeah. Uh, in the Netherlands, you know, you can drive from one side of the country to the other from end to end and never, I, I mean, on a bicycle, mm-hmm. and never have to share space with a car. It's completely separate. And I don't, system. and I don't disagree with you in the least, there, Mike. Uh, that said, this is America. We love our cars. Hell, this is California. We really love our cars and our trucks and all of that. And uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, I think it's e- you know easier, simpler to uh, move to cleaner cars and trucks than it is to get folks on their bicycle. As much as I'd love to do that, and we should do that, and we should encourage that, and there's all sorts of things that we can do. Well, we but, can change our attitudes yeah. and enjoy the good feelings that you get when you have actually exercised a bit yeah. and contributed to the health of the planet. Good point, Mike. Thank you, sir. Always good hearing from you, my friend, and hope you are doing well and uh, getting enough exercise on your bike. Thanks, Mike. 818-985-KPFK. As usual, got plenty of dudes calling in. Where are the women? 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. Let me go to Bill in Santa Monica. Hey, Bill, welcome to the broadcast, sir. What is on your mind? It's a reverse broadcast, so you can uh, tell me about anything you want. I, I just wanted to say, we have too many conservatives in high positions running things, and things are going to get worse and worse. And the reason I say that is uh, a number of years ago, East Anglia University in England Mm-hmm. And Ryerson University in Canada, independent of each other, gave IQ tests to seven-year-olds, and they followed them throughout life. And when they were 35, the people with the the kids with the lowest IQ tests mm. became are, are conservative. I mean, and that's not something I'm making up. That's right. a, that's on the record, been peer reviewed, right? And it's done by two universities. Conservatives are just not that bright. I know they talk about how dumb AOC is and Bernie Sanders is, but they are really stupid people. <laughs> and when you have people like Jim Jordan making decisions and people like Ted Cruz, and I know he crossed all of his T's and dotted all of his I's, and you can say the same thing for DeSantis. I understand he did really well at Harvard, but that does not make you smart. When you cannot look past lunch, you can't you only looking backwards, you are a dumb person, and we have too many of those in government. That's what I had to say. Well, you know, uh, well, first, let me respond to that, Bill. Uh, they're not conservatives. They're right-wingers. We should stop giving them the gift of calling them conservatives because that's actually a, a, a fairly legitimate, or at least used to be, legitimate political ideology. They're not conservatives. You know, conservatives do not believe in big government. They do not believe in uh, coming in and telling you that you, you know, you can or can't have an abortion, a, a medical treatment, you know, that has been a right, a constitutional right for 50 years. They don't believe in taking away constitutional rights, at least real conservatives. The group we have now are right wingers. That said, whether they are dumb, stupid or not, I will leave to you. I will say that when they call AOC or Bernie Sanders stupid, Obviously, they are wrong. You may not agree with Bernie Sanders' politics. You may not agree with AOC's politics, but they are anything but stupid. And frankly, it shows their desperation uh, that they have to try to paint those folks as such, I think. Well, when I say conservative, I mean, if you look through history, the people who've always 
for for child labor, mm-hmm. those were conservatives. I mean, they weren't right wingers. The people who kept mm-hmm. slaves at their time, they were conservatives. They weren't right wingers. The people who didn't allow women to vote till a hundred and one years ago, or hundred and two mm-hmm. years ago, those were conservatives. Uh, the people who fought against civil rights, those weren't right wingers in the fifties and sixties. Those were conservatives. So, I mean, it's just a label, right. but it's people who cannot see past their nose. And those are people who are running things in this country and business, and that is why things are going to get worse. Well, let's vote them out in that case. Thanks, Bill. I really do appreciate that call. Uh, Let me. Yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, Delia? Delia? Delia in Sun Valley. Hey, Delia, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. Is it Delia? Yeah, Delia. All right. I'm short on time, Delia. So what is on your mind? I just wanted to piggyback off the last caller. I totally agree. I think the conservatives are totally messing everything up. And what we we don't seem to talk about a lot is the connection to uh, old-based religion. Um, I think that is a major, major hit to our climate, uh, to to the planet. Mm. I think too many people are caught up in beliefs instead of knowledge Mm. and information. And uh, good. Uh, and, uh, it, it has a very horrible impact uh, in our communities, mm-hmm. uh, in in the world, uh, just all around. And uh, good point. And yet we have had people on the show over the years who were climate activists uh, from a religious point of view, who understood that, uh, you know, taking care of the planet was actually, uh, you know, made sense with their beliefs uh, in the Bible. Yeah, I I totally enjoy when I can come across a person like that. There there ain't a lot of them. Definitely not. Yeah. I agree. need more people to open up their minds a little. Yep. Uh, agreed. All right, we, I, Delia, I've got to get out. Thanks for that thought, though. An yeah, excellent, no an excellent one, uh, and thanks to everyone who called in, even those folks I couldn't get to. Sorry about that. We will try again, hopefully next week. Always good to uh, hear from uh, folks, whether I have been away on vacation or not. I'm always delighted to hear from you. But I got to get out. So uh, my thanks to our producer Desi Doyen, to our board operator Wendell Handy. Hi, Wendell. You doing okay there? Okay. All right. We'll have to fix your microphone next week. Uh, And, of course, to my guest, Andrew Friedman of Axios, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me an email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. You're listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported. Thanks to listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate.